All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started this evening. Um, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Uh, we'll get into uh, the series that we're continuing with, uh, talking about uh, what uh, change looks like and how to have a, a godly response to change when we identify it in our uh, lives and when the Holy Spirit specifically points it out to us. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and we'll get uh, get started here. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are very thankful to be here tonight. We're very thankful, Lord, to have your word to guide us and direct us along with your Holy Spirit to teach us and to give us the understanding. Lord, we just pray that uh, this evening our hearts would be very receptive to it, that, uh, Lord, we would just have a desire to please you and to honor you by being attentive and applying what it is that we need. Uh, and Lord, whether it's something that uh, we may need later on or whether it's something we need now or whether it's uh, being uh, used in our lives to help someone else, uh, regardless of the circumstances of it, Lord, I pray that we would just take that application and that we would hide it in our hearts, Lord, and use it to glorify and honor and give you praise. Thank you again, Lord, for uh, those that are here tonight, and I pray, Lord, you would just be with me and give me the words to speak and the strength, Lord, uh, for this evening. Again, Lord, we just want to please you and honor you with all that we do tonight. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, uh, we had left off uh, talking about reproof. So if we go back to our main verse where we've been focusing, which is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, and uh, looking at verses 15, 16, and 17, talking about what the Scripture does for us and how important the Scripture is in making changes in our life and making any type of, uh, uh, if you will, decisions and judgments, uh, we find that it, obviously in verse 16 it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for those four things there we see for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we see that obviously in order to get to that point where we are doing those works that God has ordained us to do, according to Ephesians 2.10, we have to apply Scripture accordingly. And this is what we're looking at here, and we're looking at the purposes of doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. And the we, we kind of wrapped up uh, dealing with uh, doctrine last week, talking about if we don't have truth, uh, it's going to be really hard to make any type of change that glorifies God. But we're moving into this uh, area of reproof. And again, to kind of give a little bit of that definition that we talked about, uh, it deals with disapproving and rejecting. It's the, the opposite of something. Uh, um, it it's kind of means to um, uh, essentially be opposite of being worthy of what uh, God has called us to do, where he talks about we're supposed to walk worthy of the vocation wherein we're called. He says, uh, or we also see that it's also dealing with where the fault lies, where the blame is, and the accountability. So when when we are reproved uh, uh, by God, by the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we go through a process where we began talking about that word conviction. And conviction and reproof and rebuke, they, they, they kind of all go uh, hand in hand. They're, they're, they're obviously synonyms. They, they tie in one with another. And we find that it's something that God has asked all of us to do and apply specifically to our lives. There are times that we have to, if you will, rebuke ourselves, reprove ourselves, and uh, allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Um, we, If you jump down into the next chapter, chapter 4, and in verse 2 of 2 Timothy, here he is uh, talking to Timothy about what he's supposed to do about his charge that he's supposed that, that Paul's giving Timothy. Uh, in verse two, it says, "Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine." Now, this is something that is not just for pastors or Christian counselors or Christian therapists. Okay, this is something that is applicable to everyone. Uh, everyone that has received doctrine from God, and that is mankind, God has given us doctrine in the Word of God, as we've talked about. 
has the ability to go through this process. Now, again, there's a way we go about doing that. And Ephesians uh, 4.15 talks about that, how we're supposed to do it with love. Not, you know, obviously walk up to somebody and slap them across the face and, and, uh, you know, tell them they're, you know, uh, 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 in, in deep sin and that, you know, all, you know, just basically being harsh towards them. There's a way to go about doing it. There's a way to teach with it as we find, uh, when we're talking about doctrine. Uh, so things need to be taught to us. We are taught doctrine. We in turn take what we've been taught and we do teach that to others. That's a responsibility that God has given us. We find that, if you will, as part of the commission of the 11 that they, over there in the end of Matthew, where he said, teach, teach. Uh, over in Mark, obviously in chapter 16, he says, go preach the gospel to every creature. But in Matthew, he says, teach, teach what I've taught you. And that's essentially what we as Christians need to be doing as well. And here he's saying as part of what should be done, there should be a reproving, a rebuking, an exhorting with all long suffering and doctrine. This is, again, part of that process. You cannot reprove, by the way, without doctrine. You can't reprove somebody if you do not have a standard by which you can say, this is what you were supposed to meet and here's how you failed that. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And we talked a little bit about that, about what the Holy Spirit does as far as his job description is to bring about conviction in the world and in our lives. Um, we see that over there in uh, chapter 16 and we'll <coughs> of the book of John, and we'll get to that uh, a little bit later again. But we see very clearly that this is something that every Christian is supposed to go through. This is what all Christian, everybody that is going to say that they're of God, whether it's a man or woman of God, uh, a Christian is going to desire to have that reproof given to them because it is part of that process. They want to be told what is right, what is right and what is wrong. Let's go over to the book of Proverbs uh, again, Proverbs. <clears throat> and in Proverbs chapter one. We see, obviously, as Solomon begins to teach his son and his uh, children throughout the, the book, we find that he, he says specifically in verse 23, he says, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So the very first chapter, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23 he talks about a couple of things, and we're going to get to this a little bit further as we kind of progress into the area of correction. Uh, he says, turn ye at my reproof. So reproof has a very specific function. When you're reproving somebody and they're showing them where, they've, where, where, where there's an error, and let's just take it and personalize it. Let's not just go ahead and put somebody in there that we want to correct, but let's personalize it. The Holy Spirit has shown you where you have erred. Whether it's conviction in a sermon, conviction in reading your Bible, conviction uh, uh, however it comes, uh, conviction from the Holy Spirit says, here's where you have sinned, this is a problem because God says this is his standard and you violated it. This is what it was supposed to meet and this is what, it, what you did. And they don't match, they're not compatible. So when we get to that point, we see that there's supposed to be a turning. So reproving eventually as part of this correction process, which we'll get into shortly, uh, not this week, but probably next week, um, we, we see very clearly that he's talking about repentance, turning. There, 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 it, repentance involves a specific form of turning. When we see God talking about repentance in, uh, for, for mankind, God is talking about repenting from self, repenting from sin, repenting from the behavior that they're doing and turning away from that, forsaking it and gravitating and drawing nigh unto God and choosing what he wants us to do. Choosing to say, I will follow your will, not my will. I will follow your ways, not my ways. I will follow what you judge as right and what is wrong, not what I think is right in my own eyes. So we see that there's a big difference, and this is what reproof is eventually supposed to do. We see here, he, he makes it very clear as he's talking here in this passage, he says, I want you to turn. 
I want you to turn from whatever direction you're heading and turn to the right direction. Turn to the right direction. If we jump down into verse 25 of the same chapter of Proverbs, here he says, But ye have set it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. There are those that will refuse to be reproofed. There are those that are, are, are like scorners or scoffers that will, will, will hear what is right and they will just say no. And they will turn away from God even further. They will drive themselves away from God. They, they, they will remove themselves from that situation. And, and God makes it pretty clear over in Psalm chapter one. Those are the people you stay away from. Because the, the, the man that is blessed does not do those things, does not uh, uh, um, uh, uh, walk with those people, sit with those people, stand with those people. He refuses to be associated with them and have the effect of what they're doing in his heart. So we see here that reproof is supposed to have a certain type of action with it. It's supposed to promote something. A lot of times what happens is a reproof will come, somebody will feel some conviction about it, they'll realize that they're wrong, and that's as far as it goes. There's no, there's no action afterwards. Well, right here, Solomon says there has to be action afterwards. Because if there's an action that is, is corresponding to God's will afterwards, that's what's pleasing unto Him. And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, uh, as we kind of progress through this, uh, through this evening. But one of the things that we clearly see is that there's supposed to be a correct response to it. I, I, I want to jump down there in verse 30. Again, here he says, uh, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. And he makes it very clear that they have rejected it. They've despised it. Uh, they would not have it in their lives. And he says very clearly in verse 31, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and shall be filled with their own devices. Well, what does that mean? Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you actually sow that conviction, that reproof in your life that turns and grows into repentance and you begin to please God, there are certain, if you will, consequences that are good for that. But if a person refuses that, they are growing a certain kind of fruit that is just going to spread more disease and more, if you will, uh, uh, sin in their lives and more despair and more problems. That's why when, 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 uh, people go to modern day counselors that try to teach Freud where you blame everyone else, uh, or, or, or try to essentially just, just quote unquote be one of those people that's a good listener and expect the person to, to, to give of their own, to give their, give themselves their own answer as you just sit there and listen to them and repeat after them. You know, it's kind of the Rogerian method, if you will, kind of summarizing it. But the end result is, is you, is you look at those things and they don't help anybody. It just drives them further into the hole, further down that pit of despair. But the word of God is what gives the hope. The word of God is what, 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 what turns a person and it changes their lives, makes the change. And we're, we're going to get to this in a little bit, uh, a little bit more detail as we talk about that correction part. But as we continue talking about reproof here, one of the things that we have to understand with reproof is, is, is the purpose behind it. The purpose behind it is to identify the source of the problem. The source of the problem. Um, <clears throat> I'll just use this as an example. Uh, you, you all of a sudden start getting an itching feeling on your arm. And you look down and you, you, you've been scratching it and you realize uh, you've just kind of spread the hive around. So obviously you're having an allergic reaction to something. And you're like, well, I'm not sure exactly what it is. So you begin to go retrace your steps. You got to go back and figure out what it is you're, you're reacting, uh, why you're reacting to it. 
Now, obviously, if you're having a hive and you, you take a, a medicine such as Benadryl or put a Benadryl cream on there or something like that that you are going to use to correct the problem, it's, it, it's only going to deal with that symptom. It's not going to deal with what you were that, that you came in contact with that you're allergic to. Could have been something you ate. Could have been something that touched you. Could have been something that bit you. Could have been, I mean, there's all sorts of things that it could be. And you have to start going through and trying to figure out what it is. You know, a perfect example is the last time I ever mowed a lawn or used, you know, kind of used a weed whacker in any extensive period of time. I, I took a trip to a hospital in an ambulance because I was starting to have system failures. Had hives all over me. It was, it was not a good situation. And what did I do? I didn't just go say, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and mow the lawn again and just go out there and, you know, if you will, tempt God and say, well, you know, you know, say la vie, I'll see what happens. No, I didn't approach it that way. I went to an allergist and said, okay, doc, what am I allergic to? And then they stick you five million times with all sorts of stuff and draw your blood and do all sorts of things and and then uh, figure out what you're allergic to. And then you figure out what you're allergic to and you're like, oh. So that explains a lot of things. That explains this and that explains that. And then you begin to find the source of it. Source of it is your own body. Your own body is rejecting those things that are out there that people normally eat. But here we are taking a look at this, and we look at what this reproof is meant to do. Some people think that reproof is only meant to correct that behavior. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Correcting a behavior, if the sole purpose of making a change is to correct the behavior, you're missing the greatest part. The importance of reproof, the importance of why reproof uh, is in our lives is because it is due to our relationship with God. That's what this reproof is going to do. It's going to show you where the problem is. And the problem is there is a relationship issue with God. You're out of fellowship. Either you're not talking to him or he's not talking to you, which is really scary. I mean, nation of Israel, he didn't talk to him for 400 years. Now that's the silent treatment. <clears throat> but you begin to realize, you know, God says he will not hear us if we regard iniquity in our heart. That's a hard verse. That's a hard verse. If we're so dead set on committing iniquity, and then we turn around and pray and say, God's not answering my prayer, there might be a reason. There might be a reason. If we are unwilling to get rid of what God is telling us that we need to get rid of, and then we go to him, we're basically trying to do what the nation of Israel was doing over there when Elijah said, you got to choose. You cannot stand halt between two opinions. you got to either choose whether you're going to serve God or you're going to serve Baal. But you can't choose both of them. Choose one or the other. Even the even over there, uh, the church of Laodicea, he said, I word that you were hot or cold. He wants them, you know, in some way, shape, or form, he can deal with them. But when it's that person that just wants to, if you will, ride the fence and try to please both, you can't do it. You can't do it. So it comes down to this when we're talking about this reproof and we're talking about conviction, its importance is due to that relationship that we have with God. I mean, when we ask the question, why do I need to make a change? What, you know, we, we identify that the behavior is bad. We identify the behavior is sin, it's iniquity, it's a transgression, it's a trespass, whatever you want to call it. We realize that it's against God. And we have to ask the question, why am I changing? Now, many times a person is going to say, well, it's because I don't want to do that anymore. Or it's splitting my family apart. 
or it's I'm having issues with my friends, or I'm having too much conflict at work, or whatever it may be. And they're like, well, I want to make sure that, that the relationships that I have, they're pleasing to God, and they're working on those relationships, but they don't realize that the one reason that why a person makes that change when there's conviction in their life is simply to please God. That's the very first thought process that has to take place. It's the very first thought process. How do I, you know, you know, am I really invested into making a change because it's going to please God? Or am I going to make a change so that I get a reward or I get out of trouble? Look, making a godly change in our life is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You are still going to pay for the consequences of it. You're still going to pay the consequences of it. But what we have here is we have to ask that question... Does it please God? Is it going to give him glory? That should be the number one thought. That should be what drives us. Look, it's not about making myself happy for that change. If my sole goal is to make my life easier or make my life better, I'm still not getting it. And this is why reproof is so important, because reproof will always show you what displeases God and what pleases Him. What His will is and why our will is against what He told us was His will. And it's one of those situations where we have to stand back and we go, wow, I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. Oh, it's much greater than we often realize. It's much greater, and it has a much bigger impact. Sometimes we think it's only affecting ourselves. Sometimes it might only think we think it's only affecting a small group of people. But as we all know, and as we've all talked about before, sin isn't just a private thing. It just, like, explodes outwards. The ripples in the pond. Me being me, I'm just going to say it's like a hand grenade. Anybody that's in the room is going to be affected by it. Whether you take a piece of shrapnel or whether you suffer burns from the explosion or whether you lose your hearing from the sound, one way, shape, or form, you're getting affected by it in various different ways. So we realize that that we, we, we have to go with this idea of the very first person, the very first uh, a place I need to stop is at the throne of God and say, against you and you only have I sinned. That's how it starts. And we say, God, I want to do your will. I want to please you. I want to glorify you. I need your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word, your Holy Scriptures to teach me what it is that I can do that will correct the behavior appropriately. This is this is the thought process. Because we all know that sin breaks fellowship. Sin just really messes things up royal. It puts so much strain in people's lives, it's not even funny. You know, if I was to sit there, and I remember when I was sitting in psychology class and we were talking about, specifically abnormal psych, we were talking about stressors and what causes people to snap. We don't use that term anymore, obviously, but back then we were talking about well, what's going to drive. So they've got all these college students in there in, you know, a, a, a 300 level class, I think it was, uh, talking about uh, abnormal psychology, talking about how these people are, are uh, uh, if you will, um, uh, not correctly thinking. And we're, we're in that class and, and, and we're all stressed because it's college. We're taking tests, we're taking midterms, you know, poor college students and everything else, and, and, and all of that is encompassed in that, right there. And they're talking about, okay, uh, I remember the instructor saying, okay, so let's walk through. What are some stressors in people's lives? And all the college students just kind of look at each other and go, really? <laughs> this class. <laughs> 
But there's so many other stressors that are out there. People will say moves, change in job, getting fired or laid off from a job, a loss of, of, of a loved one, a gain of a loved one. All of these things that we, we I mean, we, we look at in our normal day-to-day life, and by the time we were done, we realized, oh man, you're basically saying that life is the stressor. Yeah. Life is the stressor. But what really stresses people and stresses things to the breaking point of, if you will, sometimes mental issues, mental health issues, is sin. Sin is the greatest stressor that has ever been. Look at the stress that it put between God and man. That Jesus Christ came and died for us. Look at everything that it's caused. Look at the death and destruction. You know, it's to a point now where somebody says, do they, they use that tired old argument about, well, if God really cares, what about the starving children in Africa? And I'm like, well, I'm glad you brought that up. That's not God's fault. That's man's fault. That's man's fault. Well, it's a drought. Yeah. What caused the drought? Mismanagement of what God gave us. Sin. Disease. Sin in the garden. What I mean, it goes back to that certain point. So we have to realize that that sin is going to break that fellowship, not only with the people that are around us, but most importantly, it breaks the fellowship with God. It breaks the fellowship with God. If we don't realize the very first thing that we are going to deal with is that we have to deal with a broken fellowship with God, we're, we're, we're doing things backwards. It's like you're trying to, uh, uh, if you will, put the wheels on before you've even got an axle. It's like trying to, to, to put a windshield on and you don't even have the body frame on. It just doesn't work. It's not the way that it's supposed to be, it's supposed to happen. It's not the way that God created it. So we've got this truth that we know with doctrine that is being taught to us. And now we have this reproof that's coming that brings about conviction for the purpose of that change, showing where our faults are, showing who's accountable, showing why God disapproves of all of that. So what we have to do is we have to realize that if we try any type of change behavior without seeking God first, without seeking a change in the relationship that we have with God, restoring that fellowship, it's going to result in an outward temporary change. Let me give you an example. Turn over to the book of John. <clears throat> it produces the wrong type of, uh, of a reaction. <clears throat> John chapter 1 and verse 1, or excuse me, John chapter 8 verse 1, uh, says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. How dare she? Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? They're trying to provoke the Lord. They're trying to tempt him. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now what he wrote, again, that's like trying to figure out what Paul's uh, thorn in the flesh was. Um, that's like trying to figure out, uh, I, I mean, a lot of things that God doesn't give us light on. And I think, you know, it can be convicting if you use just about anything in there. Maybe he was writing out the entire law to show him he already knew it. Maybe he was writing out their sins in their categories. Maybe he was just writing to ignore them. <laughs> Regardless, he's writing. <clears throat> and he obviously heard them because it says, as though he heard them not. No, he heard them. He heard them. 
So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up, or lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. He says, okay, that's what the law says. Pick up a stone, go for it. Now, obviously, uh, they're in the temple, which is a place you don't do it. You're supposed to take them without uh, the camp, without the city. And it says in verse 8, and he stooped, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So he just continues writing. And in verse 9, it says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. Now, I want you to notice something. This wasn't even the Holy Spirit convicting them. This is what was written in their hearts according to the book of Romans. This is what, 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 what the world will call morals. And it says here, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, we know the rest of the story of what he says to her. He says, uh, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more, and basically sends her on her way and tells her, don't do it. Don't sin. But, but here's the important part. I want you to notice what happens when the conviction comes. When the conviction comes. What would have the correct response been? They weren't interested in repairing their relationship with God. They were interested in their own pride. Because now their hearts, if you will, and their egos were wounded by their own conscience. Convicting them and telling them how horrible they were. Their their, their self-pride was deflated. And they moved away from God. They removed themselves from God. They weren't interested in repairing the relationship with God. Because if you look at what Jesus Christ said, he said, he that is without sin among you. They all knew they had sinned. They all knew they had sinned. Now here's the interesting thing. If they had paid their sacrifices and their sin offerings, wouldn't that have been covered? Did they skip part of the law? Did they forget to cover that in their sin offerings? Did they forget to go to God and get that taken care of? They were standing there guilty of their own sin. Now, at this point, the first thing that should have happened would have been, I have sinned and gone straight into the temple and got it taken care of. Because they were, they were in violation of that, if you will, that relationship with God. They were working outside of it. But because their hearts were hardened, they did the typical Pharisee response. A little bit of outward change from the conviction. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and walk away from it. Walking away from the situation doesn't ever help. Okay? You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta confess it. You gotta address it. You gotta correct it. You gotta actually, you know, if you will, put effort into it because it's that important, our relationship with God. If we don't view our, the relationship with God as that important that we would address it immediately, then we are the ones that have the problem with our heart. And we can try everything under the sun to try to fix it, but again, it's only going to be a temporary thing. It has to be a restoration with that fellowship with our Savior. That's the, that's the end result. I mean, where, where did they, <laughs> they didn't even acknowledge their guilt. They didn't even acknowledge it. 
They didn't even confess. They didn't even say, I mean, you know, I would have imagined the one that's been around the longest would have known exactly what to do. He would have seen the sin offering, you know, several times at least and should have said, oh man, I am so guilty. I am so guilty. I should have been stoned a long time ago. Because the same things that Jesus Christ was saying, the same things that even Paul says about pride and all of that is covered in the Old Testament. They knew it. They were the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the ones that wrote it down and they were the ones that memorized it and argued over it. They were the, if you will, the lawyers. They knew that law. Take a look at Paul. He knew the law. He said as far as touching the law, he was quote-unquote blameless. But he knew he was guilty of sin. Why? He said because he was the chiefest of sinners. So as we go through this, we begin to realize that there is a desire for uh, for God to make a change in our lives. I want us to turn over the book of Proverbs again. Go back over to Proverbs in chapter 15 this time. Proverbs chapter 15. <clears throat> We're going to hover around Proverbs for a little bit. We're going to cover a couple of verses that I want us to see in regards to uh, reproof. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 15, I want us to take a look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, The scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. That's a hard verse, isn't it? You ever meditate on that verse? Mull it around in your brain for a little bit? Think about it and say, do I really love it when God reproves me? If I don't, what does that mean? I'm a scorner? And that means I don't love him? Like, well, who are you to say that I don't love God? God is the one that said it. This is what we have to begin to understand. This is in his word. He makes it pretty clear. The scorner loveth not the one that reproveth him. Not talking about just man. We're talking about God. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. That's a problem. That's a problem. This is more than just a a, 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 a a human relationship that this verse is talking about. Because remember, these are what Solomon said are dark sayings. You know what dark sayings mean? It means you have to really get in there with the light and search it out and find the meaning behind it. There's some surface level, quote unquote, common sense, but this is much deeper than common sense. This is much deeper than common sense. This isn't just surface level action. This is heart response. Heart response. Take a look at uh, over in um, oh, chapter 29. Uh, Proverbs chapter 29. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 29 <clears throat> in verse 1 says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Now, I've heard somebody say, well, this means that you shouldn't go around reproving somebody, and if they keep doing it, you just need to let them alone. No, the issue is is the person is hardening their own heart against the reproof. The issue here is, is not a person that's coming and reproving. The issue is the person's heart that they're having to be reproved over the same thing over and over and over again. You know what they're going to do? They're going to continue to harden their heart. Why? Because they have not restored the relationship with God. They have not allowed the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures to work so that they would be perfect. Instead, like the nation of Israel, they just threw up the walls and said, nope, we're not going to listen. 
When it comes to change, if we do that, well, look, we, I mean, it's pretty obvious no change is going to take place. But when we look at this, I mean, it points it out. If we are continuing in the same behavior without making the right kind of change, we're going to continue to get reproved the same over and over and over again. And what generally is going to happen, as he's pointing out here, is we're just going to start hardening ourselves towards it. Why? Because we're searing our conscience to the point of where we don't care anymore. We don't, quote-unquote, feel. There's no response to the heat of conviction. It's just built-up toughness. God doesn't want toughness. You know what he wants? Brokenness and a contrite person. Want somebody that's broken and contrite. That's somebody that's humbled themselves. God can work with a humble person. Can't work with a pride person. Because as a matter of fact, it says, he resists the proud. He resists them. Why is that? Because that proud person is resisting God. He's fighting. He's fighting. Take a look at... um, let me make sure I want to go to this verse next. I might want to change my the way I respond here. Um, this next part, let me double check something real quick. <clears throat> yeah, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Since we're right there in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6. We know in verse uh, 16 through 19, he talks about the six things he hates, the seven things that are an abomination. Obviously, pride shows up right there in verse 17, and he goes through and starts talking about all of these other things that are there, uh, other sins that uh, really God has issues with. Uh, but I want us to, to go down a little bit further in this. Um, in verse 20, it says, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thy neck and tie them about, uh, bind them continually upon thy heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. And he's very clearly talking about scriptures, talking about wisdom, talking about God himself, uh, the Holy Spirit. In verse 23, though, it says, For the commandment is a lamp. What does it say about the Word of God? It's a lamp unto my feet. Right? Light unto my path. It says, And the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the strange tongue, or from the tongue of a strange woman. Now, we've talked about what that strange woman is. Strange woman is the opposite of the wise woman. This isn't just talking about, you know, some sort of, uh, if you will, woman of ill repute. No, we're talking about things such as false doctrines. Things that are pride-filled. Things that are humanistic in nature. If you will, it even ties back to the the mystery Babylon, mystery Babylon, that woman over in the book of Revelation, which ties back to the Tower of Babel, which ties back to humanism, which ties back to Genesis chapter three in the garden. Basically, this strange woman is the woman that is the opposite of what God tells us to do. And he says it's going to keep us from evil if we just follow what that reproof is giving us as an instruction. I mean, it's that simple. It's the way of life. It's the way of life. And I tell you, we as believers have to make reproof the way of life. Meaning when we sin, we get reproved, we correct, we repent, we change the behavior, and we seek to please God. Well, that, that that should be the, the the common response that's given. Turn over to the book of Ephesians now. Ephesians uh, chapter five. <clears throat> In Ephesians chapter five, 
I want you to see here what he says in verse 11. And he says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We get to choose what we fellowship with. We've got a choice. We can fellowship with God all day long. We can sit there and meditate in his word, and we can just think of all the blessings that we have and how God has been so great to us, right? Or we can choose to fellowship in the pleasures of sin for a season. But then, when it leaves us in the gutter, now what? We have to go seek something else. Got to go seek another pleasure. And then when that one's done, we seek another one. And when that one's done, we seek another one. And we realize that we're just in this constant, if you will, pursuit of happiness. When the happiness is found in God. It's not found in money. It's not found in career satisfaction. It's not found, uh, it's not even found in your spouse. It's not found in your children. It's found in God. People that are happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So when we begin to realize that what he's talking about here, he says, I don't, I don't want you to have that kind of fellowship. I want you to actually reprove that fellowship. I want you to prove to yourself that is wrong. That's one of the most difficult things for us to do, isn't it? To take our own sin and walk up to it and say, here's where I went wrong. Here's where I made the mistake. Here's where I broke fellowship with God. Here's what the Bible says about it. Here's how I have committed sin against my Savior. telling us we're supposed to reprove it. So whenever we try to have that unfruitful fellowship, or excuse me, that fellowship with the unfruitful works, meaning it's not producing anything that should be uh, uh, bearing fruit for, for, for Christ, what does he tell us? He says we need to reprove them. He says, for it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Oh, my word. We take and we put sin everywhere And it's all over the place, isn't it? And people are talking about it all the time in casual, everyday conversation. Oi, I used to hate working in cubicles. You sit down, oh man, oh. When I got my own private office, it was like, oh, praise the Lord, I can close the door. And then when I worked at home, it was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Why? Because you'd sit there and you'd listen to those conversations and you're like, have you no shame? You're sitting there and and, and somebody that should be working is sitting there talking to a coworker about what they did. And you're just like, wow. Getting an education. It's horrible. It's horrible. But here's the, here's the thing. The sin that we do, the sins that we, we, we understand, there's, there, there needs to be a shame associated with it. Yeah. Now that's the problem is people are just not shamed, ashamed of sin anymore. Yeah. It's just like, here, look at me, look at all this. And then the world's like, oh, bravo. And a Christian should be like, my eyes. (laughs) Yeah, years, whatever it is, it's just like, oh. But when it comes to ours, we need to be ashamed of what we've done. You don't go walking around life just in this constant state of guilt because 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. We just beat up ourselves about it. And we listen to the devil a lot of times being the accuser. 
And here's what he says. He says, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. I want you to think about this for a second. Verse 13 is a, is a really critical verse because it pulls directly from what we've been talking about over there in second Timothy and over there in the book of John in John chapter 16 and in John chapter one, because the word of God is who? Jesus Christ. Okay. The word of God is also the Bible. We understand that, the Holy Scriptures. He also calls it light, the Scriptures, as light. We see that over there in the book of Psalms. He also, Jesus Christ, is also called the light in John chapter 1. And what is the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit? But to point to the Word. Where's the comfort? The comforter comes and says, your comfort is found in the Word. Let me show you. You want to know where, 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 where you need to be ashamed in your life, where that sin is, where that unfruitful work is? He points it out and he says it's right there because it doesn't match what Christ said as an example. And he turns the light on. He turns the light on. <clears throat> I've had a lot of debates about people with, uh, with flashlights. Um, specifically, you know, using them in, <clears throat> you know, kind of tactical situations. You're going into a dark room and stuff like that. And people are all talking about, well, you want a weapon, on, you want a light on your weapon, or you don't want a light on your weapon, or whatever it is. Or somebody says you want to wear a headlamp, and I'm like, no. Um, whatever it may be, you know, there's 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 all these different ways that people were taught. But but here's the situation. You know what is necessary? Light is brought to the subject. Light is there. Like I was saying, I don't like walking into a, a, a dark room that I'm not sure what's going on, so I like to leave lights on. Because I just don't like walking in darkness, because I don't know what's there. I'll tell you, one of the greatest things that, that, that I've ever realized is how how powerful the light of the Word of God is in my life. And he just gets in there and, and, and the Holy Spirit just comes in and he flips the lights on right in the middle of it. And you're like, whoa. Look, I, I, I've been in dark times before. You know, I, I, I've, I've fought with depression and things like that and, 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 and just heavy depression. And I've just been like racked with that. And, 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 and I just, you know, remember, if you will, God showing me from Scripture saying, what are you doing? Walking in, turning the lights on and saying, hey, what are you doing in here? Let's clean this mess up. Let's get these things taken care of. It's really hard to clean a mess when it's complete darkness. Can't see a thing. Turn the lights on. It's very revealing, isn't it? I was one of those kids. Mom would come in and she'd say, clean up your room, Kenny. And I'd be like, yes, ma'am. She didn't like to be called ma'am, so it was yes, mom. <clears throat> and I would go and I'd clean my room. You know how I'd clean my room? Can it fit in the closet and can it fit under the bed? Right? Can I get an amen in here? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's the way I would clean it up. Five minutes later, mom, room's clean. And she's like, oh. Like, how do you know? Now that I'm older and wiser, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I can see, I can see the error of my ways. I needed to be better in my deceit. No, I needed to obey. I needed to obey. Little sinner is what I was. Uh, she'd come in and she'd lift up the bed and she goes, that's not clean. Get that cleaned up. Put it away where it belongs. Open the closet door. Stuff falls out. She's like, no, this is not how it goes. You got boxes for this. You got totes for that. Put the stuff away where it belongs. Put it away where it belongs. Pull everything out from under the dressers, under the bookcase, under, I mean, just, you know, pull it all out. Put it all away. A couple hours later, I'm like, finally, I'm done. And she's like, okay, yeah. But I, if nobody turns the light on, how am I going to see what needs to be taken care of? 
This is what reproof does. This is why reproof is so important to the correction process. This is why reproof is necessary for the change. Why? Because as this verse talks about, it turns the light on. Holy Spirit walks in, flips the lights on, puts lights under the bed, shines a flashlight underneath, lifts up everything, opens the drawers. Everywhere that we would think we'd be able to hide something, the Word of God gets in there and shows, no, you still got a fellowship problem. You need to get that taken care of. So we see very clearly as we go through this, you know, in detail, and we start looking at what God's telling us, we see we need that light. Turn over to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And uh, take a look at verse 22. It says here, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. You want to know why Jesus Christ died for you? What he gave you? It's so that you could get presented, as he's talking about here, to God, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Now, why in in the world would any Christian want to go back to a place where they could be reproved? Why? That That's like just discounting everything that Christ did on the cross for you and me. That's hard for us to think about. That's a harsh thing. But reproof isn't always going to be pleasant, is it? Reproof was going to show us the darkness. Reproof was going to show us the unfruitful work. He, 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 he died on the cross so that we could stand justified in the sight of God. Forgiveness of sins. And as Paul says, why would you want to return to beggarly elements? Why would you want to go back to that? You realize that that's one of the problems that we find with the church at Laodicea? I'll I'll end with this. Bear with me. Turn to to Revelation chapter 3. I was going to keep this for next week, but I think it's important to talk about now. Revelation chapter 3. We all know about the church of Laodicea. Not really described as a great church, are they? I mean, verse 14, he says, And the angel of the church of... (coughs) In chapter 3 of Revelation. And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So he's faithful and true. That means that what he's writing down is accurate. Okay? says, I know thy works, that, there, that, uh, um, that thou art uh, neither hot nor co- uh, excuse me, cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, uh, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You ever spew something in your mouth that just doesn't taste right? Wrong temperature, wrong texture. Remember the first time I had shark. I put that on my tongue and it just, all of a sudden my, my tongue was like, no. <laughs> my body just said, no. I wanted to eat it. I was excited about it. My mom had prepared it the right way and my tongue just went <clears throat> back on the plate. My dad looks at me like, really? And I'm like, it hurt. It actually stung. I, I was like, I don't know what that means, but it was like, whatever. <clears throat> And my mom's just looking at me, and she's like, you want some of my beets? No. <laughs> she was on the beet thing at that time. I'm like, no, gross. <laughs> Who eats beets? Anyways, 
if you like beets, that's no problem. <clears throat> More, you can have mine, alright? Same with my Brussels sprouts and green beans, alright? Especially the green beans. <clears throat> but he says he's gonna spew them out of his mouth. In verse 17 he says, but thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Why? Probably because they don't have the light on. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do, uh, do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. So they're blind. They're blind. They are in darkness. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. You know, as much flack as the Laodiceans get, I will tell you this, God demonstrates his love towards them in a way that is just absolutely uncomparable. I want you to look at this for a second. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You're going to be zealous for something? Be zealous in your repentance. Repent at everything. Repented everything. And look at what he says in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I want you to think about this for a second. You realize what the church at Laodicea did? They closed the door on God and they locked it. And Jesus Christ is standing out there the whole time. Waiting. Why? Because he loved them. Because he wanted fellowship with them. He wanted fellowship with them. So desperately, he was willing to stand at that door and just continue. I'm sure at some point in time, it. <laughs> Maybe got a little louder <clears throat> when the music was turned up. Look, reproof deals with what is being shown to you as what is wrong. Don't close the door on God. Don't lock him out of your life. Don't 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 put him on the other side. Lock the door. Why? Because he wants to have fellowship with you. The Creator. The one that made you, the one that took your punishment on a cross for you, said, I love you so much, I'm going to stand there and I'm going to wait till you repent. Praise God, we've got a Savior like that. Baal won't do that. Drugs won't do that. Alcohol won't do that. Nothing will do that. Except a Savior. Except a Savior. Patiently waiting at the door, knocking. Just because he wants to fellowship with them. Sit down and sup with them. Enjoy a meal together. It's an amazing thing to think about. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about uh, reproof and conviction. Wrap up a couple of things about it. And then we'll start moving into the process of correction. Uh, correction is multifaceted. Correction's got several moving parts to it, if you will. Uh, and the reason being is because when you start realizing you need that correction, you get through the first part where you've, you know, you've been convicted of it. There's a lot of things you gotta do. It's not just like, oh, okay, it's not, you can't just flip a switch. There's, there's, there's things that you have developed as a habit in your life that you now have to break. You've got to undo that, uh, that downward cone, if you will, and get back towards what really caused the issue and that breach in fellowship with Christ. So we'll talk more about that, uh, Lord willing, through the next couple of weeks. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for all that you've given to us. And Lord, I thank you for what you continue to teach us. 
And Lord, I, I pray that we won't just take these things and just uh, view them in a very lighthearted manner, but Lord, we would take them and we would hide them in our heart. Lord, we may not be in a position right now where, where, where we're in sin. Maybe we are. Maybe there's some lights that need to be turned on in our heart. Maybe we have to have that search me and try me mentality again, Lord, and just and pray that the that you will reveal something to us. But Lord, regardless of that, I pray that we will take these things and Lord, that we will use them to please you, to honor you, to glorify you. Not just for the sake of our change and our betterment, but Lord, for your honor, your praise and your glory. Thank you again for those that are here tonight. Pray you take us back home safely and bring us back uh, here safe on Friday for the men's Bible study and the ladies at uh, my house and uh, also on Sunday, Lord, that we can continue to hear your word, continue to grow in you and grow in the knowledge of you and the knowledge of your will. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.